Gary, and welcome to the new series of Ask Me 2022 with myself, Mike Egan, Business Development Manager for Corporate Solutions. And myself, James Harmon, I'm also a Business Development Manager in the Corporate Solutions team. And our guest today... Hi, I'm Martin Fahey. I'm the Head of Sustainability for Mitsubishi Electric UK and Ireland. Well, first of all, thank you guys for turning up today. So we're in the, the, the sunny Birmingham office and... Uh, the reason we're here is to talk about a topic of decarbonisation, um, something which is, is talked about widely now. Um, but if I go back when I joined nine years ago, Mitsubishi Electric, something which I never came across. I, I don't know, same with yourself, James? Yeah, really, really interesting topic. Um, up until the last couple of years, it's, it's something I hadn't come across, um, but it's something that clients are asking us how we can help their business what solutions we can offer uh, and they're also interested in what Mitsubishi Electric are doing uh, for decarbonisation within our organisation. Yeah, that, that rings true itself in fact you know moving into this new role and being more client focused is that this is the hot topic it's the nothing no conversation will not will always have this in mind and one thing which I was conscious of we've just been through uh, last year end of last year there was COP26 so that raised the stakes in terms of people understanding about decarbonisation and what that's around around the UK. Um, but I think what we, you know, what the idea is today is to is to look basically inwardly and look at what Mitsubishi Electric have, have been doing. Um, so we have the the, uh, the pleasure of Martin with us today. So uh, what we're going to do, Martin, is going to you know have a few questions and fire at you and tell us a little bit more about what Mitsubishi Electric's been up to. Of course, yeah. Well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, we've been on this journey now as Mitsubishi Electric for a lot of years. I was the sustainability manager. We called it the Green Gateway Manager role within our living environmental systems uh, business. Some 13 years ago now was the first time we, we set ourselves out the... Um, ambition, I suppose, to say, look, we could see this was a, a growing issue for us in our markets within that part of our business. At the time, uh, we are a solutions provider to buildings of every size, whether you live, work or play in it. And we could see back then that the discussion was evolving very much around how can we make these buildings. At the time, it was a straight discussion about efficiency. But that has grown uh, as your introduction uh, highlighted there, Mike. I was uh, fortunate enough to be at the COP events in Glasgow um, and I came away from those with a, you know, a fired up really with a very clear understanding that governments, the UN bodies have set us the um, trajectory we know where we need to go now. We need to radically reduce our impacts uh, as civilians, as companies, and as countries. Uh, uh, but what I came away very much with was an understanding that it'll be us as companies who are going to have to lead this, lead this charge uh, and make the changes required. So um, delighted to be here and uh, looking forward to the discussion. So just just. Touching on COP26, did you find that, did people go away knowing how to 
to go ahead and look at this approach, you know, in terms of decarbon and net zero? Is, is there any, you know, was there a strategy you already had in mind or were people kind of asking questions? So I know what we need to do, but how do I do it? Well, um, it might be worth just highlighting the COP process. Uh, COP stands for a Conference of the Parties and it brings together um, the countries of the world, some around 200 different nations, all together every year to look at this uh, this problem that we all face. And COP15 was in Paris, and that is often uh, referred to because it was there that those nations all uh, agreed that we need to uh, work together to make sure the global temperatures do not rise above an average of two degrees above um, pre-industrial levels, and preferably keep that to be within one and a half degrees. And that was very much the focus in COP26. They talk in terms of a ratcheting mechanism whereby countries look at their plans and their targets and are they uh, robust enough and are they following the science. And what people left COP26 with was um, this saying, which was keeping 1.5 alive, was a sense that we can if we all buckle down now and rally behind this as an effort, as a global effort, we can keep global temperature rise to within that one degree, 1.5 degree, apologies. Now, recent reports tell us that we're very close to that already. So, um, whereas we're looking to achieve what they call net zero in 2050, that may seem like a long, long way away but we need to be halfway or more than halfway there by 2030, which as we sit here speaking today is eight years away. I've, I've found, Martin, uh, a lot of our clients uh, since COP26 have kind of jumped off the back of that and made plans to be net zero. Um, and probably the most common number for, for most of those clients is 2030 um, to, to be carbon neutral. But a lot of them, as you say, haven't really got the actual process in place to get there they've got the plan but they haven't got the process so um just wondering if you can kind of sort of steer us down the route of what sort of steps they might take to to get there yeah of course um what might be best is is to highlight is is where we are as a global business i mean i have uk and ireland uh, responsibilities but we have a, a far bigger team looking at this as our global footprint of some 150,000 employees, many factories, many offices, different operations all around the world. Um, our environmental vision 2050, as we call it, puts us on a, um, on a journey to be net zero by 2050. And I understand, James, from what you're saying, that a lot of people are pushing to go sooner than that. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, that's, that's where we sit. So we, we have put our plans in front of uh, a body called Science-Based Targets. They have independently verified that if we do the things that we have laid out uh, and plan to do, we will achieve net zero and we will be where we need to be by 2013. Um, now, you, you've spoken about other companies that we're dealing with that are going at a quicker pace than that. Yeah. Um, and that is a, a big uh, subject of discussion in the community, sustainability community, if you like. 
of the moment, which is, do we need to go quicker? Do we need to go deeper is the two ways I would characterize it. So do we look to achieve net zero before 2050? 2050 is the absolute backstop. And should we be uh, making sure that we do that within a, a one and a half degree trajectory as opposed to any other? So just interestingly though, is sometimes what I've come across is the term carbon neutral. What, what's that one? That, that's confusing sometimes. People talk about these and I'm a little bit, yeah, can you help us? It's, a fair, it's, it, it's fair to be confused by them because there's a lot of different uh, um, terms out there. So you've mentioned carbon neutrality, carbon neutral. That is different from net zero. So it's probably worth um, just very briefly explaining that. So you could be, in theory, carbon neutral if you uh, um, gather all the data of all your emissions for whatever your operation is uh, as a business or as an individual. Uh, you can, there's lots of tools out there where you can count your carbon footprint now. Um, and then you could offset that, uh, and you, we've heard different ways of offsetting plant trees being the most um, common one. And then that would create neutrality because you're, you're um, absorbing, um, if you've done it in the right way, the amount that you're emitting. So that's where neutrality comes in. Net zero is different. Um, it's a more stringent um, requirement because what we need to do as a globe is reduce our emissions drastically. We need to drop those right down by doing lots of things differently. Um, relevant for this discussion is heating our buildings, controlling our buildings differently, for example, because buildings are such a big um, footprint, uh, 30 to 40%, depending on where you um, get your figures from. So net zero means reduce down those emissions as much as you possibly can. And then when you still are creating some emissions, but a far smaller amount, you then absorb those emissions and that's why it's net zero as opposed to neutral or zero. Ah, so that, that might explain sometimes, you know, recently you look at adverts and you hear about, you know, where it will plant a tree for everything you buy. So are they, do you think they're already at the, that point or do you think they're just, they're kind of, they haven't made that decision to look at reducing their actual energy use because mm. that's a little bit misleading to be honest. It, it seems like it's tr they're trying to be green, but they may not be being gr the greenest avenue. Mm. I mean, some uh, some companies are genuinely doing that. Um, uh, we, you know, we won't pick on individual companies at the moment, but others do very much might fit the the mould of what you're okay. talking about there, mm. which is. We've measured, we will offset, and then, and then we will claim our neutrality, which is fair. You can do that. Yeah. Um, but what, what we need to do as, as societies, companies, as a globe, is go further than that, uh, as I've explained it. Reduce our emissions by doing things a lot differently, travelling differently, um, switching away from fossil fuels uh, and you can, using electricity as primary energy in buildings, for example, and then look to offset what's left. So um, obviously you've, you've sort of set out the targets that Mitsubishi Electric have, have in store uh, for, for net zero, Martin, and obviously you've kind of carefully explained sort of carbon neutrality. 
Would you be able to go on and give us a bit of an idea what's happening at our head office in terms of the products we have there, some of the, the measures we've put in place on that uh, yeah. roadmap to, to net zero? Of course, by, uh, by all means. So our, our head office is, is a great example, and many of you listening now will um, be faced with the same challenges that we are. So our head office is, is uh, the space that we own as a business, so we have far more control over what we can do with it. It was built in the early 80s originally. Uh, it's had lots of interventions in it over those years. But we have put a concerted effort into driving down the energy that that building needs to operate effectively. So some of the uh, technologies that we've applied, we, we used to sell um, solar um, power uh, voltaic panels uh, across Europe. We've, we've since pulled those um, back to Japan uh, and the US. Um, so we applied about 50 kilowatts of our own PV to the, um, to the building. We have removed gas completely from the building now and we use heat pump technology, both air source and ground source um, technology. And we completely revamped the fresh air uh, energy recovery system and air handlers in the building. And that, made, that allowed us to move the building from notionally an energy performance related uh, certificate level of C um, to um, a really good B at the moment. And we believe with some of the other plans that we have for that building, we can operate it as an A rated building. Uh, probably we won't um, reach you know, much better than that given the constraints of uh, the quality of the structure and that sort of thing. But there's a few more bits that we can do. And I think it's a good example because there's lots of existing infrastructure buildings in the UK that is going to need addressing, you know, and the journey that we've been on with our own building, it, I think will be typical of many others. Yeah, I, I have to say I, that was one of the first impressions, one of the first things over, I noticed when I went to head office and, and was the solar array. And the fact that you know we've already made that advancement into the renewable area, and and one thing as well is the the pretty much all the the, the facade is is glass, and I was thinking it must be like a greenhouse in there, but then of course you know we see that we've we've kind of put uh, kind of blackened some of the windows, and is that in terms of trying to reduce the solar gains? And it is, yeah, it is, uh, and the the next steps that we're making at the moment is a, is a complete re uh, revamp of the air conditioning system that's being designed and that's underway now and that we will apply um, our latest hybrid VRF solutions into, into the building for that and we're also upgrading our server room uh, and that will have lower uh, cooling requirements so that will be another step forward for us. That's where I think we'll step into that A rating uh, and we'll put out a full report of, of that when it's complete. So, so Martin, what sort of like challenges are you kind of experiencing at the moment and, and what are you really kind of drilling into in, in your, your role and what you're finding? Yeah, so uh, at the moment, like many other uh, companies out there, uh, countries, at country level even, it's all about data at the moment. We need to fully understand all of our emissions 
from whatever scope that they're in. When you talk in emissions, you talk in terms of scopes one, two, and three. The emissions that you are in control of yourself from the choices that you make, the energy company you choose, whether you go on a renewable tariff, etc. But then pretty rapidly you find yourself in the long grass of scope three, um, which is everything else. And we, like many other businesses from our analysis, are thinking something like our total um, amount of uh, footprint that sits in scope three is typically going to be around 75% of our impact. So I'm spending a lot of my time at the moment pushing out requests um, into our supply chain, both upstream and downstream, uh, to try and understand that better so that we can get a, get a handle on that. But the other main challenge that we're getting at the moment, and you're right to use that word, is because our uh, clients in there, and we sit in a lot of other people's supply chains, is they're asking us a lot more now around uh, what's known as embodied carbon. Uh, and just to explain that a little bit more, for a, my entire career really, we've concentrated on the operational phase, uh, on selecting our products that give you uh, an ownership experience and an efficiency level through selecting and using those products. That's the operational phase. Now, that phase of a typical building's life is shrinking because buildings are getting more efficient Existing buildings are going to be refurbished to be more efficient, higher insulation levels, uh, selecting better equipment, such as, uh, as what we manufacture. Uh, all of that is driving the operational phase of a building's impacts lower. That is creating a focus on the embodied carbon elements of a building now. So the way to think about that is it's like an ingredients list. So a building is a repository of many, many different materials to make that building. The bricks, the steelwork, the facades, the wiring, everything that's in that building is a material and needs to be counted and has some level of embodied carbon in it because it's going to have to be manufactured, it's going to have to be shipped, it's going to have to be installed. And then ultimately it will reach the end of its life and those materials should be recovered so that you can manufacture something else out of them. And we're putting a, a lot of effort at the moment. And uh, if you go to our digital library, for example, Google, uh, Google us and, and find the digital library and look for embodied carbon data, apologies, you will find lots of products where we've gone to a very finite detail to explain to our customer base what the equivalent impacts in CO2 equivalents is of a given product. Uh, so yeah, that's my short answer in what we're concentrating on at the moment. Embodied versus operational is a, is a big one at the moment and it's taken a lot of our time. Thanks for that, Martin. Um, I, I can just say, you know, that I've learned so much already in the last 15 or so minutes. James, I don't know about yourself there. Yeah, some really insightful information. So I think I think what we're looking at is that, you know, what is it we all need to be doing then? You know, if we had to say and tell people, mm. what, what would you say? Yeah, uh, I mean, my opening um, comments, I talked about uh, countries 
companies and citizens, right? because it's easy to remember it that way. And that's really the scale of, of, of what's before us. We know where we need to be, um, which is a net zero world by mid-century 2050. We know that we need to be halfway there towards that by 2030, which is a, a, a date people can associate with a lot more because that's a lot closer than 2050. So we've seen the country level pledges. That's what COP is for. That's the mechanism for that. And the UK has took a leadership position in that. They have stated they will reduce their emissions by 78% by 2035. And importantly, they've included aviation and shipping in there. So in fairness, they have not shirked. They're from you know, a bold, strident sort of target that we can all get behind and understand. Then there's the company level, which is what we're talking about more of today. And I've highlighted what we have laid out and the fact that we're looking. That's not set in stone. We have to challenge ourselves on ongoing with that. Are we going quick enough? Are we going deep enough? And that is a process that we're doing. But I firmly believe, having been at COP, that it will be the company level that is going to make a huge uh, contribution towards this. Um, and then we've got all of us as, as citizens. Uh, we, we make individual choices. We will make those choices moving on. The food that we eat, the way that we travel, the frequency that we travel, the, the way we heat and run our homes. Uh, and these three levels are, are, are what I see in my day-to-day -day life of concentrating on these issues within the company that I work for. I'm fortunate that we have always been a company that's been willing to look very long-term at these things. We've just passed our 100th anniversary We've got our long-term plan out to 2050, and um, we are just starting now to use our footprint, if you like, our sphere of influence, probably a better way to describe it, um, in a positive way. So we're talking to our supply chain about their own journeys on the, uh, to net zero. We're about to um, embark on training for all of our colleagues to bring their knowledge levels up. So um, I would say, regardless of your company, your size, your scope, record everything at the moment, make a plan and understand things are going to be different. But we can achieve this. I'm very positive about it um, because I, I see such a lot of positive energy and um, enthusiasm behind it. So um, exciting but challenging times ahead. Great food for thought there, Martin. So I'm just thinking, countries, companies, citizens, we all play a part. And the three C's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the three C's, the three C's, that's brilliant. Yeah, why did I think of that? That was cross. That'll stick in my mind, the three C's. So what we get really is that we're all striving to do more. We're always going to have to push, push ourselves to understand the, the road of decarbonisation, the net zero, as we move forward towards our targets of 2030 or beyond 2050. Um, so it's a big thank you thank you Martin uh, for today yeah, thanks uh, for joining us Martin and uh, thank you for listening and we look forward to uh, our next podcast to follow mm -hmm.